Dana Black's mother looked like Vanna White, which is to say very much like Dana herself. She was simultaneously perky and glamorous, blonde with a Texas-sized smile and chocolate brown eyes. To look at her pictures is to imagine a party, a chiffon evening gown, clinking glasses, and also school lunches packed in brown bags, American Girl dolls, and homemade Christmas ornaments. This is the vivid, nuanced portrait of a beautiful mother that I hold in my brain after just a few minutes listening to Dana Black's stunning podcast, I Swear on My Mother's Grave. But it's not the whole portrait, because in addition to loving Dana, her mother also loved vodka, opioids, and refusing therapy. She died in 2016, leaving Dana behind with no words with which to make sense of having lost a very imperfect mother, one who both loved her and failed her wholeheartedly. Dana started, I swear, on my mother's grave, as so many podcasters do, as a way to express the unexpressed, to share the once unshareable, in hopes that we will find, in fact, that we're not alone. The mom I knew was already gone. And it was painful to watch and confusing and embarrassing. And I did not want to talk about it with anyone. But now I do. I want to talk to someone. The word intimacy is thrown around too much in podcasting. It's a cliche. But what does it take to create it intentionally? Do it well, as Dana Black does, and that's when listeners come back again and again. It's our Mother's Day episode, an episode for storytellers who know that truth is a kaleidoscope, not a Hallmark card. We're going to delve into creating a relationship with your listeners that's so intimate that they have your back on Sound Judgment where we investigate just what it takes to become a beloved podcast host by pulling apart one episode at a time together. I'm Elaine appleton Bennett. Dana Black, I'm so glad to have you here. Thank you for having me, Elaine. It's really, um, it's really a joy. I ran into your podcast several months ago and knew almost instantly... I want to have you on, and I want to have you on for Mother's Day. So here we are. All the feels. All the feels. <laughs> so Sound Judgment started because I wanted to focus on what does it take to become a beloved host? And of course, what that means really is, what does it take to create a podcast or a radio show or really any other kind of out loud creation that listeners fall in love with. It sounds like you really wanted to share your feelings with an audience in the hopes that maybe it would help them. What's your relationship with the audience? I mean, I feel like they're a confidant, you know, and they're someone I want to put out good content that they can relate to. But I, I also want to, I kind of want to, I want to surprise them. And I also, but I want to feel really safe and and know that I can say anything and that they've got me and that I can change the format and they've got me and I that they can trust me. And I want to hear if anything I'm saying is resonating. It can be a lonely game and you're putting something out into the void. So a lot of people told me like by listening to me, not only people I knew, 
But uh, random strangers were like, you helped me get through. Like, I listened to you when I was pregnant. I listened to you in the early days of the birth of my child. Whatever it is that people were going through, I felt like really grateful to be able to be with them and then hear from them. You know, if I could hear, please message me, let me know. What do you think? What are you hearing? What are you, what are you getting from this? Is this resonating with you? So I think they are a confidant and I just, I, I, don't, I wanted to feel less alone in that time of those, of the early days of the pandemic. And I certainly have felt less alone since then and, and then some. What's one response that you got from one listener that stays with you? Oh, gosh. I always think about the phrase when someone said, where has the show been my whole life? And then the show is about what it's like to be someone's child. I'd never thought about it that way. I was like, really? That's what it is to you? It's not just about, you know, our dead moms or our complicated moms. That, And, and part of me wanted to kind of go back to that kid, which is the episode we might talk about, right? There was, I'm sort of healing and kind of saying hi again. Hi, I miss you. I miss that mom. I miss my childhood. I miss that. Yeah. I think it was healing for me as kind of healing an inner, an inner kid and also coming back and saying hi to her again. And so when someone said it's what it's like to be someone's child, I'm like, yeah, I'm the child and I'm, I'm healing myself. I'm using death to celebrate myself. I'm using death to celebrate the living, which is me, which is also a phrase I like to use about the show because um, the show is for the living. It's for you. It's for, it's for whoever's listening, right? I love that. Well, let's get into the episode that we're going to pull the covers back on. Cool. Which was your Christmas episode last year. Unlike most of your episodes, which are interview episodes, it's you. It's a solo hosted show. It's called Seeing Gift Cards That Say To Dana From Mom In Her Own Handwriting Are Breathtaking. And let's listen to the opening. Hang in there. It's a little bit long, but honestly, I just love this for many reasons, which we'll get into. Hey, friend. Thanks for being here. Happy December. It's me, Dana, your friendly, sassy podcast host. Just sitting here in front of the fire in my cozy robe, thinking about holidays past. And I thought we could have a little chat about it. Just you and me. So why don't you go get into your coziest robe, grab a cup of cocoa or coffee or tea, and put on your warmest, fuzziest socks. And if you don't have any, I'm really sorry I didn't know that because I would have sent you a pair because my mother bought me, I don't know, maybe 25 pairs of large, warm, fuzzy socks during her lifetime. I think by the time I was 18, I had like 16 pairs of warm, fuzzy socks. You know, the big, large ones where you wear them all over the house and they get really dirty on the bottom and gross, but you can't stop wearing them. And then sometimes you fall asleep in bed wearing them and they get stuck in the sheets and they fall off. Anyway, get into a pair of those and meet me back here. And let's talk about holidays, Christmases past. Let's talk about grief. Let's talk about my love of American Girl dolls. Let's do it. So meet me back here. Put marshmallows on the top of that cocoa. And thanks for being here. Welcome to I Swear on My Mother's Grave, which I forgot to say at the top because... I was really distracted by the fire. See you soon. 
is so gorgeous. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> oh, wow. It's, this is like intense. <laughs> to hear I'm it. sorry. No, it's, amazing. it's just going to get more intense. <laughs> to hear it back. It's just so, it's so cool. It's kind of like the antithesis, right? The thesis of like hearing yourself back, right? Talking about your mom, you know, getting to hear it yeah. back. Yeah, it's cool. Or yeah. yeah. I was struck by that opening for so many reasons. Um, this is, it's not just so intimate. We say this about podcasts all the time. It's an intimate medium. Right, right. But it's intimate to the degree that we take advantage of that intimacy. And this is perhaps, it's one of the passages that I've ever heard that is so deliberate about doing that. You are very specifically setting up a scene and saying, pull out your slippers, pull up a seat at the fire. Let's just talk. Mm. Tell me, how did that <laughs> idea come up? Let's just talk about how that happened. Well, in full transparency, my editor, her idea was like, okay, what if, I know it's cheesy, but we open with a fire. I was like, what underneath me? She said, yeah, like a crackling. I go, that is hilarious and incredible and cheesy and amazing. All of the things, right? Yes, we're doing that. Because She was like, I'm going to send it to you. You can take it out. <laughs> and I loved it so much. Who's your editor? Amanda uh, Roscoe Mayo with Cassiopeia Studios is her new company name. She's amazing. She's brilliant. She's brilliant. So you and your editor, I mean, there's the fire, but there's the writing is, it's not just personal because we've heard that before. I've heard that before, but it's very between you and me. And mm -hmm. so is the, so is the voicing, which is very hard to do for most people who aren't trained actors. Mm -hmm. What I hear is you wanted the listener to feel and behave in a certain way. Talk about the writing of that piece. Yeah. I wanted them. They say a lot when you're doing voiceover too, you have to know who you're talking to. If you have dialogue, it's like, what is the face of the person you're seeing and talking to? So I try to imagine, yeah, a friend. Um, I, it's it does feel very conspiratorial so like quick 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 come here come here, come here you know i got something yeah. to tell you and here's the deal here's the deal right you grab your cocoa i'll grab my gin and tonic whatever it is like it it makes me feel i guess the writing yeah it has to feel secretive into a into to a friend and and welcome them in and then literally say what what feels good to me if something uh -huh. feels good to me, maybe it will feel good for someone else. Just like that whole, like, if you say your truth, but it has to be authentically me. I think I was in a robe when I recorded it. I wasn't in a robe when I wrote it, but I was definitely in a robe when I recorded it. I didn't have cocoa, but I try to say the things that go do that, go do that, because that's what I would want right now. And maybe if they're alone on Christmas, or maybe they are sad and struggling or lonely, I've got you. I've got you. Okay, I've got another clip I'm going to play. This is where you first introduce your mother as a character in this episode. I would set up the doll surrounded by her furniture and miniature fancy finger cakes around our Christmas tree. I would eventually take it all upstairs after Christmas to be displayed in my bedroom and play with them alone because, well, you know, only child. Remember, my mom loved these dolls. Honestly, she might have loved them more than I did. The dolls seemed so sophisticated to her back then, so new and fancy. 
and each doll represented a different era and culture, with culture in quotes. My mom made sure I also got the the, the... the reason I chose to play it is because it was the first introduction of your mother. There were so many things that came through for me, like she loved beauty and mm-hmm. she must have been well-educated or at least valued education. She valued education for you. Yes. You know, it wasn't just the dolls. It was the no, culture. culture. It was the yeah, yeah. She liked nice things. She had good taste. She did, yeah, she loved reading. They loved buying me books. I asked for a box of books one year and they just bought me a box of books and I didn't read half of them, but you know what I mean. I, I always moved by very short scenes that communicate a lot. And so that was like 45 seconds long. And look how much it communicated. So part of it is that a scene is such a shortcut. Yeah. It brings us in. We learn so much about a character without ever having to say, my mother loved education and history and blah, blah, blah. Right? And and so it's instructive. Right. It's like a little movie. Storytellers, did you know that Sound Judgment is also a free newsletter? Every two weeks, get storytelling, hosting, and journalism strategies taken straight from the on-the-ground experiences of today's best audiomakers, no matter the genre. Newsletters feature examples for you to try in your studio, essays on the challenges and rewards of this craft, and news about fellow audio creators making the kind of work we all aspire to. Sign up free at podcastallies.com. Partway through what became two conversations with Dana Black, I realized that she was giving me an entirely different perspective on audio storytelling than I'd had before. I still wanted to pull apart clips and talk through the writing and her process, but even more, I wondered what it would be like to approach the craft the way an actor does instead of the way I do the analytical, more reserved journalist. What I didn't know is that she would teach me by turning the tables on me, by challenging me and transforming me into the role of the guest or or maybe like a friend drinking cocoa around the campfire, the one she'll ask anything of. And I surprised myself. I found myself willing to tell her almost anything. Over the last 20 episodes of Making Sound Judgment and exploring what it takes to keep listeners coming back, I've run up against this question. As hosts, especially if we're journalists, how much of ourselves should we share or not? For me, it's a real-time question. I am editing this episode right now as I voice this, and I am having to decide just how much of my own personal life and feelings to give to you and how much to leave on the cutting room floor. Do you struggle with this dilemma? I would love to hear from you if you do. Let me know where you fall. Are you an Elaine or a Dana? People really respond to this sort of personal, I don't want to say confessional, that's not fair, mm-hmm. memoir I'm sharing my life and my thoughts with you in a way that prompts you to think about your life and your thoughts. And as a journalist, I tend to be, you know, obviously fairly analytical or I wouldn't be doing this show. It's pretty analytical. But I'm really curious about what would it be like to try to approach podcasting as an actor with a clean slate, none of all this journalism background or baggage. 
I could never be a journalist. That would be really, it'd be hard. I'd have a really hard time. Not that I always insert myself, but just that I'd want to connect. I'd want to share about myself to get that person to share more of their story. And I feel like that's what I'm also doing on the mic. Even when I'm with a stranger, I'm of course asking them questions. I'm listening to them. I'm letting them talk without judgment. But the only way to connect with someone I've never met, if I'm talking to a trans man that was a referral through a friend, I want him to trust me enough. So I have to share, hey, I don't, I don't have the same story as you. But my, my mom was also really complicated. And I know what that's like. I don't know how you feel. We have different stories. But I, I want to hear from you. I want to understand you. But I have to share myself or else that person might not trust me. It's beautiful. Thank you. Elaine, I wanted to say, though, when you listened to it, this memoir episode, what did it bring up for you then about your relationship with your mom? I know. Look at me being sneaky. But what did it do or the loss of your mom or what did when you're listening to those vignettes, you said we yearn for them. So what did it do for you? Oh, gosh, we really do. I, I it's the reason I fell in love with public radio and wanted to move from print to radio to mm. begin with was that theater of the mind. And, you know, what we call in public radio, the driveway moment. What does that mean? What does that mean? Yeah, see? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I love this. Thank you. You just like, you're like the straight person setting up the joke. <laughs> Elaine, tell me more about that. Yeah, It was perfect. Exactly. What do you mean? I've never heard of that. <laughs> so, So the driveway moment is... That you've created a story that's so compelling that the listener, this is back when we all commuted, is driving home or driving wherever, gets to their destination mm. and has to sit in the driveway to hear the rest of the story before they go in. And the best compliment you could ever get from a listener is, oh my gosh, I had a driveway moment listening to your story. And... Then I remember I went and interviewed for a reporting job and I asked the staff, you know, tell me, tell me about your lives at work. Mm. And um, my friend Amy, she became my friend and my colleague said, well, we're creating theater of the mind. And I, I couldn't have put it better. And that is that sense of when I listened to your episode I feel like I'm in your living room with this fake Christmas tree, with these beautiful ornaments, some of which are probably a little fussy. For sure. Late. There's lace. There's lace. Yeah, like porcelain. Very delicate. Like that's going to drop and break. You know what I mean? I'm going to break it. Yeah. And then there's this like dough ornament that's in the shape of... Was it the crush? Was it the baby Jesus? Baby Jesus. Yeah. That mm -hmm. the cat eats? <laughs> At the bottom of the tree? Why put the food so low? And does it then trip up memories of trees in your past, Christmases in your past? Yes. Yes, it does. So I have at Christmas, and I always put it up, this old door hanger. It's, it's sort of long and skinny, mm -hmm. and it has a bell at the end, and it's got like felt shapes of, you know, a Christmas bell and a leaf on the burlap. And it hangs on your door. And the idea is that when the door opens, the bell rings mm -hmm. and it is falling apart. It was my mother's. And and it's going to just fall apart entirely one day. And I have little, little cardboard elves and some angels that are also that old. 
and you know their heads are like you know they like decapitated almost but they're still they're still there yeah. and i put those up i don't have very much left of my mother my mother died when i was 23 um i didn't keep a lot we weren't keepers i guess or they weren't i didn't get passed down a lot of photos but um i had a complicated relationship with my mother like a lot of people like a lot of listeners to dana's show and like Dana, staff, listen to this clip. Mom and Nana were really easy to shop for, truly, until one year when my mom started asking for a body that wasn't broken. Her body. She really did ask me this. She emailed me and asked me to get her for Christmas a body that worked. And I, of course, responded with a sassy comment about how I'll see if I can find that at Target, which is not even that funny, and nor was the fact that she was getting sicker and sicker. I think it was around, I don't know, 2009. I arrived. This is like where, this is like, this is your life. This is your life, Dana. And we're going to play it back for you. It's kind of like that show. How does that feel? I forgot I said that until right now. I was like, oh, right. I did that. But I also realized that's exactly what I do. Like I laughed in real time, listening to my own joke of, of, of telling something horrible and then just flipping it as quickly as I can. It doesn't mean I'm not feeling the pain. It's like a release valve. I'm constantly like, I'm going to really go hard on this thing. And then I'm going to hopefully release some tension for everyone listening and myself. And then I'm going to come back and I'm going to hopefully pull this rug out. And, you know, like, and, and just tell you the truth, right, of how hard this is. So, and how sick she was. It's so interesting it is who I am as a person. So I think reflecting back, I go, that is the, that is ultimately who I am. And so that's why I love talking in my own voice because it's exactly, I'm, I'm authentically myself. And that is the truth. And, and I think for journalists, it's very hard to do publicly. It, it can be hard to do privately. Why? Why? <sighs> Because I don't mean the integrity part. That's a whole thing. Yeah. I just mean why? That's a whole yeah, thing. that's a whole other thing. I get that. But why? Why do you think it is? Well, I think for a lot of reasons. I mean, I think some of it is just me. And I think that this is changing, actually. But I think that there has been a culture of you are not part of the story. Mm. And keep yourself out of the story. And so then you know, you just train that over and over and over and over and over again. Then when it could be your own story, mm -hmm. it feels wrong. It feels wrong to share that, mm -hmm. that personal, intimate stuff. Yeah. And so, you know, this is, this is wonderful to learn from you. Like my first instinct is, is to say, well, weren't you scared the first time you decided, I want to speak in my own voice as opposed to reading, you know, playing a character. Because playing a character is an entirely different, it's much safer. I mean, I was scared, but I was so, I was like, I was more hungry for it than I even knew I was. Like I told you, I didn't know I was going to start a podcast. I didn't know what was happening, but it was like, oh, oh my gosh, this is the medium I've been waiting for. Uh, this, this is it. There are many times in this process, and not just because scheduling with people is complicated, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of a pain. You got all these people you got to talk to. I have a lot of people who want to come on my show. How wonderful, how amazing. And I love, we have to hear other people's stories. That's the whole point of our existence. 
but I'm always threatening to do an entire episode with just myself on the mic. And I thought about it. I thought about coming back this third season and being like, it's just me solo the whole time. Oh. And I've had friends who were like, do it, do it. And other people go, nah, Dana, come on, you got it, come on, you got to have, you got it. But the point is doing these solos allows me and the closers that I do at the end of every episode allows mm. me to, 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 to scratch that niche. But what I'm saying is I could do a diary memoir. I mean, it's a lot of text. It's a lot of writing. It's a lot of processing, but I'd really enjoy it. I think there's something freeing about it for me. Well, it, I don't think that this is a medium, this solo sort of diary or memoir uh, podcast that anybody can do. I think it's a very particular gift and skill. Um, or set of skills. Hmm. I really do. And I think that you have those skills and that gift and you have a good story. I mean, in a sense, you have a good story. And in a sense, you have a story that everybody has, right? Because most of our relationships with a parent or a child are complicated. Yeah. Yeah. There's always something. Even like I told you, I'm going to start the season with a mother-daughter talking and I know my closer is going to be about how halfway through that conversation, I was just like, shut up. I'm glad you guys are best friends. I'm glad you like, that's what my brain is doing, right? My brain is going, oh, I'm so glad you guys are so close. And isn't that nice? And isn't it great your mom's alive? While I'm crying, while I'm so invested in this, while I'm obsessed with them. And we're talking about end of life. We're talking about raising kids. We're talking about their own deaths with each other, a mother, daughter. Like I'm facilitating that conversation. And it is incredible and I was so jealous. I was so jealous, you know? And so that is real. And that is my closer, probably. And that is the truth. That is. And so that memoir piece of what, what I do in the closers and then doing the solos, I need those conversations for that reflection. And I need to bring it back to my own life, even though sometimes I'm just like, oh, God, I got to set up another interview with. I mean, I'm being flippant, mm -hmm. but you get it. It's, I, I don't know. I, I really enjoy just talking it out and writing it out and writing it out. What I love about what you've done with this episode is that you've painted this picture of your mother as a parent in all her sort of normal, you know, loves, identity, who she was, beliefs, normal quirks like, you know, a love for Lacey, fragile, Christmas decor. And then you sort of sneak in, wait a minute, she is not well. And she's not well in ways that are really fraught. And we never actually learn much about that. Mm. Tell, tell me about how you thought about writing that, or maybe you didn't think about it because you did say it, you just sat down to write it and it just came out of you. I think by then, in truth, I probably felt, because if you start at the top of my show, if you, if you start at season one and you go all the way to the end of season two, which is what that episode pretty much is, you've heard it all. Like, you, you, know, you know her story. It, my, my story with my mom slowly unravels throughout both seasons, right? So I think maybe subconsciously I was like, they know. They got it. Mm -hmm. And if they're coming for the first time... I guess it's just, I'm just sharing a little nugget, you know, and you might have to go, go find other nuggets if you want, if you want more of this story, you know, and here's where I'm at today with my, with my grief. And here's where I'm at today with my joy. And here's where I'm at with my nostalgia. And let me take you back to a time. Yeah. Well, I think 
the mark of a successful, I almost don't want to say episode because it could be a short story. Everything you did could be in a different medium and it would still work because the quality of the writing and the quality of the delivery is um, whole in and of itself. And so it's not like I felt like, wait a minute, what happened? Mm. What is she talking about? Mm -hmm, I didn't feel mm -hmm. that way at all. What I felt was that way too often people who are less experienced perhaps they might write about someone, say, with addiction or a mental health issue or just an illness or whatever in a very one-dimensional way. Here's this issue. We're going to hit you over the head with the issue, and we're going to tell you about the issue. And that's not at all what you did. It's more like you sculpted a recreation mm. of your mother through your eyes in a whole way. Years and years and years ago, I had cancer. And I'm fine. All of a sudden, there were some people who didn't know how to talk to me. And I was like, wait a minute, I am not a different person. Yeah, I hear that happens. I could have I could have yeah. the flu. Yeah. Yeah. And if I had the flu, nobody would struggle to talk to me as Elaine. But all of a sudden, people struggled to talk to me because I was the cancer patient. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. then I had surgery and I was fine. And I've never had a problem since. It's mm -hmm. not a big part of my life. But it's the same thing. And so I think it takes skill and awareness and heart to do what you did. Thank you. I mean, I think it's the same. I hear that it's the same kind of like grief. I think a lot of people don't know what to say to people who are sick, right? They're worried they're going to say, say the wrong thing. Hey, I've probably done that. I've probably definitely been like, shoot, I'm going to say the wrong thing to this person who's got ALS or cancer or and just like with grievers, so like just ignore them. Don't ask them about their loved one. Don't. It's mm -hmm. you're gonna. They're worried they're gonna mess up, so they don't say anything at all, or they back away, or they right. Mm -hmm. um, I think when you say stuff like you didn't talk about, like you chose not to do the issue, you talked about the person. I think it's because I'm not an expert, and so I'm constantly reminding myself that, and reminding my editor, and just my whole vision statement is that. I, I barely even have on experts on my show. Like this season, mm -hmm. I'm going to talk to an estate lawyer and I might bring on someone who does grief work. And that's awesome. But that's not my show. And that's okay. It's not your it's show. It's not my show. I'm regular people or maybe a couple celebrities when I get them, right? But it's regular civilians, amazing artists, people I love, people who knew my mom. I, you know, I've mm -hmm. interviewed people who knew my mom. And so that isn't my show. So I'm never coming on being the authority or... And I have to be careful, of course. I have to be trauma-informed enough to not throw around disrespectful terms about addiction. And I'm learning how to talk more about my mom's addiction. But because my mom wasn't an addict, addict, she dealt with addiction, right? So there's certain terms that I'm also wor working through and learning. But all I'm trying to do is just tell my story and my perspective. I'm never giving advice i'm i mean i connect and i have empathy and i have thoughts i go hey maybe you try this with your mom or but i'm never the authority so i'm only coming as, as an empathetic daughter and a storyteller and a and a voiceover sag after art artist you know I'm, I'm no schlub of like performance but it's not a performance it's, it's really a reflective memoir conversation show all right i have to ask you because when i first set out to create the show and, and this question, what are the universal skills that it takes to become a beloved host? 
Okay. That's the question that I'm trying to answer with every episode across multiple genres and Mm. different kinds of people. And there are certain skills that go across everybody that make listeners connect. What are some of the threads you're seeing? Well, the one that I wanted to ask you about, but I will answer that. So I spoke with Glenn Washington, who's the host of Snap Judgment, which is a huge show. He's really widely considered one of the best storytellers of our time on the mic. Mm -hmm. And he says, you know, it's authentic, but it's performative. You know, the term hostiness, Mm -hmm. which was coined by PRX many years ago. I didn't even know that's what I was doing. And then somebody told me, oh, you're looking for hostiness. And um, he said, yeah, I've got hostiness. Hmm. And it's authentic, but it is it's also performative. How do you see that? I mean, you are a performer, like you said, I'm a voiceover artist and actor, and yet here you are using your own voice. Where do you stand on this? Yeah, that's, I know that's hard because you don't want to say that you're performing your grief, talking about your mom, making story. You know, you don't want to make it seem like it's false. Right. And he wasn't right, saying right. that it was false. Right. But the word performative has a connotation. I know that is hard. As, that's really, I don't know if, oh man. If it's your most stripped down version of yourself and also your most kind of like activated part of yourself, it's both for me sometimes. It's like, mm-hmm. this is, if I'm writing, especially if I'm writing it out and I'm doing it in my voice and my tone and my humor and my, 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 the way I want to speak, it's like the most stripped down kind of the core of who I am and then dialed up to a 10, right? Of hit this beat, hit this moment, but also, yeah, I don't ever want to like go back and do it multiple times. I kind of want to, right? Mm -hmm. And yet you want it to be, I want to hit that perfectly um, when I'm doing solo episodes. But in a conversation, I'm still learning how to be a good host. I mean, I know Mm -hmm. how to be a good conversationalist, but guiding someone and really staying present and having questions prepared or, or, or just going with the flow of the conversation, which sometimes happens too. I have stuff prepared and I never get to them. Um, that's still a learning journey for me, uh, for sure. I've never done this before. Um, but I, I just lead with like disarming people, listening without judgment, being curious, don't talk over them, r- share yourself and let open up, open up, they'll open up back to you and do your research. I'm learning about how to be a good host and I'm listening to other people and trying my best. So that's why I'm like, tell me the through lines and listening to your podcast has helped me also learn what makes a good host. So, well, thank you. And I am really using poetic license when I, when I say what makes a beloved host, because in truth, it should say, what are the skills that audio makers use to connect with listeners and have listeners be, I've got to hear this show. And the show is represented by the person or the people on the mic, but it's the team. It's your editor saying to you, what if we had you around a fire? It's the writer. In your case, it's you because you're an excellent writer. So it's really the, you know, in my lingo, it's the producers and it's the sound designers and the editors. It's 
It's really, what does it take to make this show that people remember? And, you know, ultimately, I saw somewhere a friend of mine posted recently, they might come for the topic, but they stay for you. Always. Somebody, I mean, in full transparency, someone said, yeah, that's cool that you got Peter Sagal. That's cool. Sure. And it is. It's cool. We're listening to you, Dana Black, interview Peter Sagal. We're not. We can go find him on all their shows. We can listen to NPR's Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, right? But we're coming to listen to you talk to him. And if I got Anderson Cooper or if I get Tabitha Brown or if I, of course they want to hear those famous people. But they're like, oh my God, Dana, Dana, this host that we love, this show that we love, Dana's going to talk to Tabitha Brown. What is she going to say? How is she going to say it? How are they going to connect? And I, that moved me so deeply to be like, that's so cool, right? The people are like, we want to hear you interview that person and we're coming for you and we trust you so that you you can do every you can do anything you want mess with the medium switch it up and if we trust you we'll stay with you forever okay so what do you think now you've done this for two seasons and you're about to start your third storytellers on mother's day cue it up follow i swear on my mother's grave because dana's amazing what is it in your mind, that has made listeners say to you, Dana, we love you. We trust you. You can do anything you want and we'll come back for you. What are the ingredients? That's what everybody's looking for. I think people come for the for the great guests. I have incredible storytellers and for the curiosity and for, I'm just going to say the thing that I think they're waiting. Like I had a friend say, I listen sometimes to the entire episode and I'm always clocking what is her closer going to be? What's Dana? What is the thing that Dana's pulling out through this whole conversation? And sometimes I can guess it. And sometimes you just like totally flip me for, because your closer is so reflective and so personal. And I never know where you're going. But I love going, okay, this is an episode about adoption. What's going to happen? She's going to share a story and then she's going to play audio from a, someone's mom who's passed. Where's Dana going with this, right? And it isn't just about me. I'm just talking about that memoir piece. And so I think as a host, they're like, why did Dana pick this person? Why are we listening to them? And also, how will this reflect back on my own journey with my living mom, with my children? How can I be a better parent? What's it like? How will will people talk about me when I go? What is legacy, right? So I think there's a lot of that and why people tune in and and then I'm going to talk about like my vibrator and weird, weird stuff like that. You know what I mean? Well, I, I think you're saying some really, really important things. And one of them is that thing that somebody said to you, Dana, I want to know how you close it because you always surprise me. So something that comes from this American life about a simple way to look at a story is action stakes reflection. So you're in the action, like you start three minutes in or seven minutes in, you want to be in the action. How, huh? what's going on? Set the stakes. How high were the stakes? Well, the stakes were very high in this episode where, you know, you're going home for Christmas and your mother is in bed and she can't come get you. Mm. Well, why is she in bed, right? Like right. that's, there's a lot of emotion there. But we're here in the end for the reflection because human beings seek meaning. Mm. We want meaning. We want to make meaning out of our own stories and our own lives. And, and that's what I'm, part of what I'm taking away from what you said is that by, by making meaning 
out of your story that mm-hmm. you're sharing or out of your feelings about the person you just did this interview with, then you're helping us as listeners make meaning out of the complicated parts of our lives and the beautiful parts of our lives. Mm-hmm. And through you've mentioned trust and you've mentioned getting the trust of your listeners and the trust of your um, your guests. So one of the through lines that I have found in this quest that I'm on is psychological safety, creating psychological safety with your listeners, with your guests, if you have guests, with your sources, and for people who work in teams with your team members. Yeah. Yeah, well, and you didn't say psychological safety for me. I mean, I have to feel safe too. And yeah, making sure that they all feel seen and heard and and like I said, no judgment. That's all people want. So um, I'm going to just give you two lightning round Great. questions. How has hosting, I swear on my mother's grave, changed you in ways that you didn't expect? That's a lightning round? Oh my gosh. Um, <laughs> like I said, I wanted to talk in my voice. It's given me the power to do so. It's let me connect with a whole new community of people I never would have thought that these, I have friends on the internet now that I've never met. Um, and I've learned to forgive myself and my mother. And I can't believe that happened. I used to never want to talk about my mom. Even in therapy, my therapist would say, we've got five more minutes left. You've, you've, you've complained about the play you're in and the guy you're dating. Let me know when you're ready to talk about your, 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 your mom who's bedridden. You know what I mean? Like she'd joke, like, is it, is it now? Cause you got four minutes left. So I would avoid it at all costs. And I also have learned that I, I actually, I love writing and I like storytelling. Maybe I'll write a book. Who knows? Who knows, Elaine? But that I'm an artist who has infinite capacity. And that is really what I learned was I'm not just an actor on a stage. Hey, maybe let's do something else. So that's been really freeing. And then I am not alone in my complicated maternal grief. There are thousands of people with way more complicated stories or you know, we all are sharing pain um, and by talking it out, it just f- kind of feels good some days and laughing about it and laughing about it. You got to. That was Dana Black, host and producer of I Swear on My Mother's Grave. Season three launches on Mother's Day and I can't wait. For the second year in a row, Dana is hosting a Mother's Grave retreat. It's in June on a gorgeous lakeside cottage resort, and there might be one or two spots left. The link's in our show notes. At the end of every episode, I give you a few of the many takeaways from these conversations. Here are today's. One, we say podcasts are an intimate medium, but that's not really the case. What's true is that podcasts have the capacity to feel intimate, but it takes a clear sound vision to make that happen. Dana has it. She thinks carefully about how she wants her listeners to feel. Come here, come here, come here, she whispers. She talks to them directly as if they're right there. Sit by the fire with me. Grab a cup of cocoa. Put on warm socks. She wants them to feel they're in on a secret. And so she writes voices and sound designs with that goal in mind. 
Two, but there's no intimacy without trust. The only way to gain the trust of someone I've never met, Dana says, is I have to share myself so that they will share themselves. Three, there is so much power in scenes. A 45-second scene, in Dana's case, about getting American Girl dolls for Christmas, we get a distillation of who her mother was. Scenes done well are beautiful shortcuts to both facts and feelings, and inevitably have listeners conjuring up memories from their own lives. Four, one reason listeners are hooked on Mother's Grave, at the end of every episode, Dana reflects on what that conversation meant to her, often in surprising ways. Listeners can't wait to find out what she'll say. That's all for today. Thanks for being with me. If you liked this episode, listen to episode five, Finding Your Voice with Shelter in Place host Laura Joyce Davis. That link's in our show notes. Please follow us on your listening app. Our goal is to help you make great creative choices every day. And you can help us do that. Take a minute. Give us a five-star rating and a short review on Apple Podcasts. It helps us grow our show, and we're grateful. Next on Sound Judgment, Sam Mullins, the host and producer of last year's best podcast of the year, Ambie's award-winning show, Wild Boys. Sound Judgment is produced by me, Elaine Appleton-Grant. Sound design by Andrew Perella. Our gorgeous cover art is by Sarah Edgel. Podcast management by Tina Basir. See you soon. And I did have a driveway moment. I was going to say, I did have somebody text me after the Billy and Evelyn, the, my, my sibling episode, and said I stopped at the driveway at, at my house before I went in. I had to finish it. So I guess I got one. I got one, Elaine. Oh, <laughs> yeah. yay. So, yeah. You should put that on your wall. Right? A driveway moment. Driveway moment. Is, yeah.